Globally, few things are more popular than religion. There are 4,000 recognized religions uh, in the world. And an overwhelming majority of the, the world's population belong to some kind of church or mosque or temple or religious movement. Which might be surprising to us sitting here today because trumpeted all over the news is how in the U.S. and Western Europe the numbers of non-religious people is growing. But three-quarters of the world's practice, world practices one of the five major world religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Judaism, and, of course, Christianity. And the majority of the remaining quarter belongs to one of the other religions. So why is that? Well, the Bible tells us that we, as human beings, we are created to know and to worship God. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has set eternity in the hearts of human beings. So it shouldn't be surprising that so many people are religious at some level because we, we want to find meaning beyond ourselves, meaning in this world, meaning be beyond this world. We, we yearn to know where we came from, why we're here, what's true, how to live our lives, what comes after death. We have a fundamental need to, to worship. Whether we're religious or not, we all tend to want to worship something or someone. The French philosopher Blaise Pascal said, there is a God-shaped vacuum within every one of us. And in that vacuum, we stuff all sorts of things, religion or, or pursuits, goals, hobbies, because we have a need from the earliest human beings People have sought to relate to a God or gods in whatever fashion or way they thought appropriate. When you ponder that, when you think about, think about the difficulty Jesus would have had in the early church in introducing his kingdom of God to a world already filled with, with countless religions. So, so what sets Christianity apart? What makes Christianity distinct from the other 3,999 religions? What are the distinguishing characteristics of the Christian faith? Well, today we're continuing our journey through uh, portions of the Gospel of Mark. And we come to a passage in Mark chapter 7 where we find one of the differences, one of the primary differences that sets Christianity apart. So let's review what Mark has been telling us so far in his Gospel. Jesus burst into the scene, into the world in chapter 1. He calls people to repentance. And... Um, he claims to be the Messiah. Jesus gets immediate pushback, of course, from the religious leaders and from Satan. But Jesus presses forward. He calls disciples. He begins to organize the movement. He begins to teach. He does healings. He does exorcisms. He calms a storm on the, on the lake. He raises a 12-year-old girl from the dead. He feeds 5,000 people miraculously. Leslie just referred to that. All of which would have given the disciples a lot of confidence and just follow Jesus, say we're not wasting our time and our, our, our energy here. But what was distinct about what Jesus was calling them to believe and to do? What was different from the religions that were all around them? Well, first, let's compare these other religions. What is common among most religions? Well, there's worship, some sort of worship, right? Um, people kind of make sacrifices, whether it's money or time or you know, historically, animals or whatever. 
Uh, there's prayer, there's meditation. Uh, you do good deeds. Usually you give to the poor, try to look out for those who are less advantaged. Uh, you try to be kind to your neighbor. There are rules of what you should do and rules of what you should not do. That's why the first few verses of Mark 7 are so interesting, because you've got this contrast between the rules of the Pharisees and the religious leaders of Jesus' day and in Jesus and his disciples and the way that they're going to understand and apply the rules. Let's pick it up. Verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? So what's this about? We don't think anything of washing our hands before we eat. We, we tell our kids to do that, right? You've been outside playing. You've been outside working. You've been petting the dog. You're wiping your nose. Wash your hands before you eat. It's a, it's a hygiene thing, right? You deal with germs. You know, a lot of us have been washing our hands a lot over the past couple of years. We know what it is to wash hands. But that's not what's going on here. The Pharisees did not see this as a matter of hygiene. They had no concept of germs and bacteria and how you transmit those things. They saw it as a ceremonial following of the law, a tradition that had been passed down for generations. This is what you do if you're a good religious person. This is how, what you do to please God. This is how, what you do to show other people. That you're righteous. That you're right with God. It was something that you did to show you were set apart. That you were different than your non-religious or non-Jewish neighbors. It showed that you believed that there was a God in heaven. That he cared about sin and personal purity and, 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 and soul cleansing. And so you did this. Uh, this ceremony of washing your hands and the cups and the pitchers and the plates and the kettles and all those things. And Jesus' and the disciples, they're not doing it. And the Pharisees have a problem with that. They're upset. Why aren't you following the rules that show that you're a good person, that you're a righteous person? Why aren't you doing this? How does Jesus respond? Verse 6. Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Wow, those are fighting words, you know. Can, can you imagine? I mean, these religious leaders, everybody looks up to them. They have the rules. They follow the rules. They make the rules. And Jesus says, you guys are hypocrites. You try to honor God with your lips, but your, your hearts are far from him. That would have infuriated them. I mean, no wonder they wanted to kill him eventually. They're concerned about hand-washing. But Jesus said they should be more concerned about the condition of their hearts before God. Jesus says, you do these religious things, but your hearts are far from me. You know, the Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. If you haven't read it, I just read It's incredible. It's, it's powerful. It's convicting. It's, it just strikes at you. At your heart. 
And one interesting thing Jesus said in Matthew 5 was that unless your righteousness exceeds that, surpasses that of the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is saying, rule following will not get you into the kingdom of God. Because the Pharisees, they're really good at following rules. They make the rules, they know the rules, they follow them. He says, rule following will not get you into the kingdom of heaven. What is Jesus telling us to do here? He's talking about the condition of our hearts before God. He's telling us that, that, that we're not righteous on our own. We can't be good enough. We can't do enough good things. We might be considered righteous by the people around us because of the good things we do, the way we treat others. But we're not considered righteous by God by doing good things. Jesus is trying to get them to understand their their need for him, their need for forgiveness for God. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about all these external behaviors, things that are in the commandments, like don't don't commit adultery and uh, don't commit murder and don't steal, don't take advantage of the poor, etc. But in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says just because just because you don't stab somebody in the heart, just because you don't kill somebody doesn't mean you're still not guilty of, of murder. Jesus is saying, look at the motive. God is saying, don't hate your enemy. Don't slander your enemy. Don't insult them. Instead, reconcile, forgive. Go beyond the external command and see what God's purpose for your heart is behind the command to not murder, for example. It's not about the letter of the law. It's about the spirit of the law. And God's commands are given not primarily to shape what we do, but to shape who we are. If our behavior changes, but our hearts don't, we're missing the point. I mean, anybody's a parent knows that, right? You can, you can get your kid to do a certain thing, but if their heart isn't in it, you really are missing the point. At some point, it's going to come out, right? But the sin of the Pharisees was worse than that because they're not just demanding external obedience to God's law, but to their law and their traditions. They they make up their own laws and they use them to determine who is in and who is out. Now, the motivation behind these traditions, I'm sure, was well intended. They knew God was holy. They knew they were not. They knew they had all these laws given to them by Moses. They knew that they wanted to try to be right with God. So they, let's make sure we don't sin against God. So we're going to do this and this and this and do that. They had all these rules and things set in place. So the motivation, I'm sure, initially was pretty good. They want to please God. But somehow they got lost along the way because they began to focus more on the exterior than the interior. Do we ever do that? Do we ever add commands and traditions to the teaching of Scripture? Or is that just a first century Pharisee thing? I mean, we all have unquestioned assumptions about what church is supposed to be like and what we're supposed to do, or what a good Christian looks like, whether it's how we should dress or what music we should sing or how we decorate the church or the order of a service or whatever. I mean, back when the organ music was first introduced, a couple hundred years or three or four hundred years ago, People were aghast because that was the music that was played in bars and taverns. Drunk people, those people, they use organ music. We can't use it in church. 
or in the 60s and 70s with the Jesus movement. And, and all of a sudden, drums and guitars are being brought in, and people are like, that's associated with rock and roll. That's with hippies. I mean, we can't have that in church. It's easy to take what we think is good advice and, and good tradition and turn it into a law, into a rule that good religious people should follow. But what happens when with the best intentions we make our own rules in laws? It becomes about performance. It becomes about about uh, uh, earning God's favor and about appeasing God. And when we do that, we become like all the other religions. And secondly, it doesn't work. In fact, Jesus says it makes it worse for us. Look at verse 9. Jesus continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father and mother is Corban, so, okay, we're giving the money to the church, we're not going to use it to help mom and dad, we're going to avoid having to help mom and dad, then you no longer let them do anything for their father and mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. So, how does this make it worse? I'm sure you've all known people. I've known people. Maybe you struggle with yourself, this, this idea. You look around and you see all these rules. And, and you try to keep them and, and you can't. It's overwhelming. It's frustrating. Or you look around and say, well, they have these rules and they have those rules and they're not keeping, they're hypocrites. And, and you begin to get cynical and, and, and just chuck the whole thing. And the very things that, that we think we're going to make us more righteous, more acceptable to God, do the very opposite. And they, they weigh people down and they, and they drive them away from God himself. Listen to what Jesus says in verses 14 and 15. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside you can defile you by going into you. Rather, it is what comes out of you that defiles. So external commands do not produce holiness. And man-made traditions are even worse. And the only commands that we should give to people and should be observing are the commands explicitly stated in Scripture. And even then, when we come to those commands, it shouldn't be, have I kept them? Have I obeyed the letter of the law? Rather, it should be have I understand God's purpose, his motive for that law, the spirit of the law, what he wants to use uh, in that command to shape me, to create in me. And then you ask God to become that type of person. And how do you know if, if you're not becoming a Pharisee? How do you know if, if, if God's word is, is shaping you more and more into the likeness of Jesus? What's evidence of that? Paul talks about that in Galatians 5. He says, if you've not been changed by God, then these are the results. Impurity, sexual immorality, greed, deceit, rage, bitterness, jealousy, slander. But if you have been changed by God, the fruit of the Spirit will be evident and growing. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. 
And Jesus says, these are things that, that you don't put into your life. These are things that come out of your life. These are things that you don't do. These are things that are produced by a changed, transformed heart. You see, unlike other world religions, Jesus moves beyond blind obedience to the rules, especially human rules, and focuses on who we are and who we are becoming. It comes from hearts that have drawn close to God. So how do we people who are not just honoring God with the lips, but our hearts are far from God? How do our hearts get close to God? It begins with God's word. The best way to understand who God is and how to live in response to him is found in the pages of Scripture. It's found in Scripture. You know, part of the tradition of of the Covenant Church back in the 19th century was one of the influences was something called pietism. And pietism was this movement uh, that was sweeping through northern Europe. and And the emphasis was, okay, let's connect the head and the heart. There's a lot of good, right doctrine mental ascent, but let's connect the head to the heart so that, so that there isn't hypocrisy, so that, so that we're, 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 there's a, we're a person of integrity. We're not saying and believing one thing, and in our heart we're feeling or thinking something else. Not just head knowledge, but heart transformation. Not just religious tradition and compliance, but spiritual vitality and growth on a personal level that changes how we relate to God, and changes how we treat other people. For example, you could go to this Matthew 28, and it reads where Jesus says, go into all the world, make disciples, spread the good news of Jesus Christ, so on and so forth. And you can hear that and say, okay, I'm going to go to the street corner, I'm going to hand out 100 tracts. Done it. Is that what Jesus intended? Perhaps that's a response, maybe, but... I think rather we should be asking ourselves, why does God have such a passion for those who don't know him? Why do I not have a passion for those who are far from him? What is in my heart that makes me not want to go or not make it a priority? How can I, through the power of the Holy Spirit, be the type of person who radiates the love of Jesus and who can't help but share the good news of Jesus? It's not enough. To know what the Bible says. We are to see the heart of God behind his word. And then we are asked the question, how can God's heart be formed in my heart? When we see who God is, it causes us to want to do what God wants us to do. What makes Christianity distinct from other religions? It's not about rules. It's not about laws at its core. Although as Christians we are to do good deeds, it's not about doing good things to get right with God. It's about hearts being transformed, changed from the inside out through faith in Jesus. It's about new life through a spiritual rebirth. It's about being cleansed from the inside through Jesus' death on the cross. It's about Jesus doing for us what we could never do for ourselves living a perfect, righteous life and rising again from the dead. When we follow Jesus, our, our, our heart must be connected to our head. Our motives are to be shaped by God's motives. Our actions must be motivated by God's heart. Let's pray.
Father, we're grateful for your word. And Lord, we confess to you that there's a tendency that we all have as human beings to set up rules and traditions um, to, to make us feel good about ourselves and, and to, to mark progress. And, uh, Lord, help us, Father, to not fall into the, into the trap of the Pharisees. Lord, help us to be people who our hearts are close to you. Uh, they're, they're being transformed by you. They're being shaped by you. Lord, that we would be people who have our, our heads and our hearts connected. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done for us. And we ask that you would, through the power of your spirit, change us and transform us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.